If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. so much for joining us today on episode number 44 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we're going to be answering a question from some people in our Facebook Real Life Runners tribe. So if you're not familiar with our Facebook group yet, it's called the Real Life Runners tribe and it is an awesome community of people that are all there to support each other and share their running journey so that everybody knows that we're all doing the same thing and trying to become better runners and better human beings and we're not doing it alone. So if you're on Facebook, check us out at Real Life Runners Tribe. Just do do a little Facebook search for it and you should be able to find us and request access. You can also go over to our website, realliferunners.com and click on Facebook group on the top right-hand corner and you can request access there. So this these questions um, come from a couple of our people in our in our tribe, specifically Joanne and Stacy. Thank you so much for your questions. So today we're going to be talking about the different paces that we should be using during our training because there seems to be some confusion about what is a marathon race pace and what is a half marathon race pace because a lot of generic training plans out there throw out these terms, the tempo run or a fart like all these different running terms, and not everybody knows what those mean. So today we're going to go through and kind of break this down for you, explain what these terms mean, and also talk a little bit about how they relate, relate to us as mortals doing our, our running training. Yeah, that last part is is incredibly key because you can, I mean, you just Google 5K training plan and you come back with a thousand different results and they're all, they all come from somewhere. You know, there's these, there's like a handful of underlying systems. There's higher mileage systems, there's short and fast intervals, there's systems that are based off this concept called VO2 max and they, they all are solid programs in and of themselves right yeah they all work if you follow them correctly some just work better for some individuals versus others exactly it's the way that you adapt to the different training programs so um my my main issue with this and i think it's it's a very key component to this episode is all of these plans are derived from research based off of incredibly elite athletes okay so explain to that like we're we're looking at people who are Olympic level international competitive athletes. Okay, so they use these people in the research studies in order to determine different pace levels or effort levels or VO2 max. Is that what you mean? Right. So you're dealing with with athletes. A lot of the research was actually done off of cyclists. So they that's get, true. Uh, so much of the exercise research is based off of cyclists. Yeah. These are highly competitive European circuit cyclists. Right. Like these are ridiculous, ridiculously athletic people 
and then they try and translate it, one, from cycling to running. Which is a tough translation. Which is not exactly a linear thing. No, I mean, they're both cardio activities, but they're very different activities. You're, you're stressing totally different body systems. Oh, I know. I biked into work the other day. My legs felt sore. And I remember. It, like, it's an easy, like, I take it just nice and relaxed. I got a backpack on with all of my stuff, and it's a, an easy bike in, and my legs are spent way yeah. more than if I go through, like, a hard, like, mile repeat kind of workout. Yeah. Like, the, it's a different soreness. Yeah, he biked into work on Friday, and then Saturday... Saturday morning, I got back from my long run and came in the house and I said, babe, you got to go out for a run, even if it's just a short run because it's nice outside. It's actually in the 70s. It's in the high 70s. Like a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. It's July and it was under 80 degrees somehow. So it had felt, it felt so nice and cool that morning. I mean, I wouldn't, maybe not cool exactly, not but cool. well, cool for Florida summer. Sure. Yeah. So I came back and I told Kevin that he had to go out for a run. He was like, he kind of like, uh, like sighed and then like got dressed, put his clothes on. He walked out the door and then about one minute later, walked back in the door. <laughs> and I said, what it, happened? It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's hot and it's sunny. And my legs are really tired from all the biking I did yesterday. I mean, it's not even a huge bike ride. Like, no. It's, it's a casual five miles in and five miles home. Ten miles for people who cycle regularly just doesn't seem like much. Especially broken up into two different times. Right. Right. I mean, one of them is at two o'clock in the afternoon in like 100 degree weather. Yeah, but it's still, hot. But you were sore. I, I was sore and my legs were tired because cycling and running are not, they're not the same thing. Okay, so let's keep going. Yeah, exactly. All right, so... Um, there's a few issues that come when you try and take elite athletes and what they do to become even more elite athletes and try and bring it down to people who have other stuff going on in their lives. Like us. Who who their main focus of existence is not trying to get the next Olympic medal. Right. Like that's That's true. When you're when you are an elite athlete at that high of a level, to make gains is so much harder than if you're down at someone at my level. I mean, my level, I can make gains more easily than someone at that Olympic level because when you're at that Olympic level, you're fighting for every second, five seconds, you know, depending on what distance you're going, every second matters. I mean, you look back, I I heard this the other day, I'm totally going to get this thing wrong, but it's something like if you look back over the last like 20 Olympic Olympics, the difference between third and fourth place in the half mile is like a total of a second. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, it's so close and like, oh, you went home a giant loser because you were fourth and don't have a medal around your I neck. I know. No, it's no, no. Crazy. You're the fourth greatest on the entire planet. Right. But it, it's the, it's how you view it, it's you know? It's so, <laughs> so competitive. Well, and look, someone like me or someone like probably most of our listeners, I did a 5K training plan and I was able to drop two minutes in like six weeks. I mean, that doesn't happen if you're on that elite level. There's no way. When you're looking at like elite men who are already running around 13 minutes for a 5K, the difference between like 13.05 and 12.59 is huge because you've taken yourself to a sub-13. That's a different level to work with. Yeah. You know, there's, there's these massive differences. Like if you're at, if you're at 13, you're not going to have this two-minute improvement. It's just not coming. Right. So all of these training plans, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the training plans out there are based on 
training elite athletes is what you're saying. Yeah. And some of them are based off of training elite athletes from like the 1940s. Okay. And they haven't really been changed. Okay. With any of the new research. Okay. <laughs> All <laughs> so, right. So we have to take them with a little bit of a grain of salt. Right. And I mean, they've been successful. They've been successful for plenty of years, but just because something was successful does not mean that there's not something that might be a little bit better right. or a little bit more appropriate for you. Right. Especially when you're training as a regular, quote unquote, regular human being. You know, you take an elite athlete who's running like 100 to 130 miles a week and you're like, oh, well, they do these kind of workouts. Well, if you're going to cut that back, their workout was 15 miles of total running. Mm -hmm. Okay. But a normal person's going to be running like three to five. Right. Can you just take the workout and divide it in third? Mm -hmm. It might not be the same workout. That's you're true. probably getting a different benefit. And even if you're getting the same benefit, your body could adapt in a completely different way because your base is different than their base. Mm -hmm. So you so are, half mile repeats if you're going out on a five mile run is a lot different than half mile repeats if you're going out on a 15 mile run. Right. Yeah. You know, are the half mile repeats just this tiny component in the middle? Are you basing it around cardio? Is it based off? There's so many components that you can variables. change. And, you know, what did you do yesterday? Well, the elite guy ran 20. You had an off day. You know, mm -hmm. it, like... There's, or did an easy three. Yeah, exactly. Right? He he did an easy 20. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's different. It's different, right. And so how well do some of those training plans actually work for normal human beings? Right. And I mean, the thing is, is that everyone's got a plan and they're like, oh, this worked for me. You should do it also. Uh-huh. And yes, it worked for you, but you may have gotten lucky that that plan happened to work for you. And well, the person standing right next to you, it doesn't have the same adaptations. And it depends on your own running history as well. Because yes. if you, this is your first marathon or first half marathon, first 5K, pretty much any training plan is going to work for you as long as you don't injure yourself, as long as it's not too aggressive. That's, I right? mean, that's, I think one of the biggest takeaways at the end of this thing is yeah. you need a training plan that's not so aggressive that it's going to get you hurt. Like the best training plan is the one that gets you all the way to the race and still smiling. Yeah. All right. So, um, one of the things that shows up in a lot of these plans, you get a whole bunch of terms that are thrown out there. Okay. So we're going to spend some time now going over some of these running specific terms to describe the different kinds of runs that might be present in these different training plans. Right. Okay. So if you search, I need a marathon training plan, you're going to get a bunch of plans that say that you have to do whatever the workout is at marathon pace. Mm -hmm. Sometimes this even shows up in 5k plans. Okay. It, if all you ever want to do is run 5Ks, How do what, you is, know what, your marathon what is marathon pace? Right, exactly. Yeah, so... That, that, that's what, and that was one of the questions from one of our listeners. She said, I ran a marathon 20 years ago. Obviously, I'm a, <laughs> What I'm is a, my marathon pace? I'm a little different now. Right, 20 years later, what is my marathon pace? What do I even put that number at. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of online calculators that it's like, I ran this pace for a 5k. What could I run for a marathon? Mm -hmm. Well, the further away your two distances are, the far less accurate that predictor is. Right. I mean, there's a decent formula that's like every time you double the distance, you also have to add like a 6% slowdown. Mm -hmm. And it's a decent correlation, but if all you do is 5Ks, the marathon's just not going to be that accurate of a predictor. Okay, so what is marathon pace? It's a pace that is sustainable for two to uh, two and a half to three hours. Okay. 
And that is not the majority of people running marathons. I mean, that's going to put you automatically as a Boston qualifier. Right, exactly. That's not the majority of people running Th- marathons. Those are the more elite runners. Yeah. Okay. And there's there's like a marathon calendar thing that you can go into races and it says how many of, out of this race qualified. It's not, it's not even half right. in most races. So we're pretty much talking about sub three hour marathoners and what pace is that? Uh, per like mile. just, just over three is seven. I think seven minute per mile pace is like three Oh five. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's fast. Someone that can sustain seven, seven minute, minute pace. pace for a marathon. Yes. Okay. So, so what it, about those of us that are not even close to that? So when it says marathon pace, don't think about how fast you're running a marathon. Think about how fast you could run for two and a half to three hours. Okay. So say you run a marathon at a 10 minute pace, which is still amazing. That's like a, about a 420, 422, right? Yep. So 10 minute marathon or 10 minute miles throughout the whole marathon. So when they say marathon pace, you shouldn't be doing that at a 10 minute mile. You should be doing that slightly faster. I don't think there's a lot of benefit. The further away you get from being a sub three hour marathoner, Mm -hmm. I think the less benefit you gain from training at quote unquote marathon pace. Okay. Because the closer marathon pace and recovery run are to the same thing. Okay. So, right. Because then your recovery run would have to be even slower than that. And, right. and then how much benefit are you getting from going that slow? Right. Are you, is, right. Is, is there cardio benefit if your recovery pace should be like a minute slower than marathon pace? Well, if your marathon pace is something that you could sustain for 26 miles, for 26 miles and you're thinking, well, that's insane. I run walk most of that. What do I do on a recovery day if mm-hmm. marathon pace is already supposed to be aggressive? Right. You know, when when I get into training and I'm going to start hitting like marathon training, marathon pace to me is six. Mm-hmm. So I can recover at seven per mile. Right. That's a whole minute difference. Mm-hmm. But if you run a slower marathon than that, then the challenge of the marathon isn't necessarily the pace that you're running it. It's more of the time and the distance that you're out there. Yes. There's right? definitely I mean, there's a point where the challenge of the marathon is completing 26 rather than completing 26 at a certain speed. Right. I mean, it it becomes that I think depending on how many marathons you do. Even if very you're, much so. You know, even if you're running it slower than three hours, people that start running five hour marathons they want to slowly bring it down into the four and a half and four hour mark. I mean, and those are amazing goals to have. Very and, much so. You know, for but. So you're saying that there's just maybe a limited benefit at training at that speed. Yes, I think during your training cycle. I think there would be much greater benefits training at at faster speeds in in different workouts. Okay. You know, we're going to keep getting through a couple of different things and I'll highlight certain paces that I'm like I think this is where people could train at mm-hmm. and just ignore all the marathon training stuff. The, okay. Like marathon pace. Okay, so but just for definition purposes, marathon pace is something that you should be able to sustain for about two and a half to three hours. Yes. Okay. Which means the super, super elite marathoners who are in like two hour, they're faster than that pace. Okay. <laughs> so they have to get adjusted because they're too freakishly fast. Right, right. Okay, so let's move on to half marathon pace. Half marathon pace. Sustainable for about an hour to an hour and a half. Okay? Again, you're looking for high-level competitive athletes on both male and female side. Half marathon times are coming in between an hour and an hour and a half. Okay. Okay, so what about someone like me? I ran my half marathon 
in just under two hours. So my average pace was nine minutes per mile. Right. So that's not my half marathon pace? That is. That's your half marathon pace, and there's a good point in training at that Okay. for part of your runs and training at sort of what you could sustain for like an hour and a half, which is a little bit faster. A little bit faster, okay? right. Consider it like ideal downhill tailwind half marathon pace. Okay. It's, it's slightly more aggressive than your half marathon, but mm-hmm. it's not... Um, it's not like a, a 10K We're not dropping pace. down to 10K pace yet. Right, exactly. Okay. So you essentially have like a couple of runs, and depending on the point of the workout, you could do them at your half marathon pace, which is, you know, around nine, mm-hmm. or you could do them just a little bit more aggressive to try and keep pushing your half marathon pace mm-hmm. until it gets closer to that sort of like 130 range. Right. But I mean, I feel like, I mean, for me to do a bunch of workouts at that nine minute pace, how much benefit would I be getting if if I if it was a shorter workout, right? Because that's the issue. Is like when you're not getting of, much out of a shorter workout. Right. That's what I'm saying. So like most of the time, I'm not out there. So my half marathon took me just under two hours. So let's just say two hours for for um, to make it easier. So two hours for my marathon, and most of the time I'm not going out to run for two hours. Most of the time I go out to run for about an hour, right? Fifty minutes, forty-five minutes. So to run at that half marathon pace might not be giving me the most benefits. No, the way that you would get benefits out of training at that half marathon pace is to put like part of your weekend long run at the half marathon pace. So you do like a little bit nice and relaxed at the beginning, then do a longer chunk of like six, seven, eight miles at half marathon pace, and then do a few miles nice and relaxed at the end. So you're not literally racing a half marathon. But but you're throwing in some pickups during the long run because you're not taking your whole long run out at that pace, Mm -hmm. but you kind of drop down for a couple of miles during the long run. Yeah. You can do it in in like, you know, two mile segments without, Mm -hmm. like within it, or you remember you had me. Do that. I had you do that. Yeah. Or you could even like try and do a sustain, like and in the middle of a of a thirteen mile run, try and hit six miles at your pace. Okay. Because I, I remember you questioned it. You're like, well, if I can only hit six in training, how am I possibly going to be able to get it all thirteen? Get all thirteen of them. I'm like that. That's not the point. It mm-hmm. it's not a mental workout today. This is just helping your body hit one of the many adaptations it needs and learn that pace too. And, and learn that like pace, learn yes. what that pace feels like. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, so that's so that's I think is a good explanation of half marathon pace. What's the next one? Threshold pace. Threshold pace. This this is essentially ha- the pace that you would go if you could ideally race for an hour. Okay. Regardless of distance, don't worry about how far you're going. Okay. If you were racing for one hour, this is the pace that you could sustain. Threshold pace. Threshold. So pace. for a lot of people, this is around a 10k, maybe. Yes. Okay. For like super elite, your half marathon and your threshold pace are right on the verge of each other. Okay. All right. So, what is threshold pace good for? Um, okay, so threshold is like the sort of smaller version of lactate threshold because lactate is the stuff that builds up in your body due to all sorts of metabolism things, which I think is beyond what we need to get into right now. It is, and it's also incorrect, but go ahead. I know. Um, but lactate is is a key component that... that shows up with other fatiguing byproducts. Right. How's that? Yeah, lactate's actually the good stuff that helps to shuttle the hydrogen away. But 
Yes. Yes. It, it's it actually one of the is a... things that they can measure to measure the amount of mu- muscle fatigue. Yes. There we go. It's, it's one of the more measurable things that helps you figure out what fatigue is. But as we pointed out a few episodes in fatigue, a good aspect of that is also mental. Like these are, yes. there's some physical keys that you can measure and scientists love being able to measure things and how much grit someone has is so much harder to measure than how much lactate is floating through their bloodstream. Right. So, right. All right. So this threshold pace is a pace that you could basically race for an hour and then after that hour you'd basically be spent exactly okay yeah that's, that's you couldn't keep goal. going after an hour no yeah. you're, you're going you're to done. significantly slow down if you keep pushing after that pace yeah that's like my 10k that i just ran in january and i crossed that line and i was just done yeah no you nailed it yeah. i mean you were saying how spent you were i'm like that means you, you nailed it you figured out the pace well, and i <laughs> also had the flu so there we go uh, that's why i think you could have dropped a couple <laughs> minutes off of that but i mean effort wise you figured out this is how fast I can make it that I can make it to the finish line and no further mm-hmm. that's that's kind of like the ideal race yeah I, I want to make it just to the finish you don't want to make it 100 meters away from the finish line you want to make it just there but right. no further right all right so um threshold pace shows up in tons of training plans and there's two ways that people attack it do they call it threshold pace threshold pace lt pace lactic, lactic threshold, threshold okay. lactate threshold pace okay um Something to that effect. Okay. Um, but this is not tempo yet. This is... We'll, we'll get into how tempo has gotten turned into so many different things. That's okay. That's our next one. All right. Um, but yeah, sometimes you'll see training plans that say tempo and they actually mean threshold. They are, in fact, separate things. Okay. So let's talk about the threshold. Okay. So there's two major workouts. One is to increase your tolerance of running in a state of fatigue. Okay. And the other is to raise how fast you are before you're feeling that level of fatigue. Okay. Okay. This is the pushing the ceiling. Pushing the ceiling. Right. Okay. If, if the, if it's why I like the fact that threshold is in the name. Okay. Right. So if you look at that as essentially the ceiling. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at that as the threshold is, is your ceiling on how fast you can run, you have a couple of ways to sort of train either practice training will banging your head in the ceiling because that hurts okay <laughs> which basically means get used to the pain okay. so you can tolerate it okay or make the ceiling be taller yeah let's let's raise the ceiling so we stop banging our head yeah well okay. there's there's your options okay and there's workouts that do both of them okay and i've put you through workouts that do both of them you have <laughs> all right so and you've put yourself through them too oh very much i mean yeah. any workout i've thrown at people i've thrown at myself yep um so the the major the classic ways to go at this is steady state runs are are used to raise the ceiling. Okay. And then runs where you kind of keep going back and forth between an aggressive pace and like a medium effort, an aggressive pace mm. and medium effort. It, not not dropping all the way back down to walking. No, it's there's yeah. never recovery. There's not the recovery. Okay. It, like it's super aggressive. It's way faster than you would like to be running knowing how far the workout is, but your recovery pace is not recovery. It's an easier it's, jog. It, no, it's still like a pretty aggressive pace. Oh, okay. It's... It's doing oh, like it's a, when you were the one you did last week. Yes. Yeah. So I did. What was it like? Didn't you go from like five minute pace to six minute pace? Yes. <laughs> I kept bouncing between five minute and six minute pace. Right. And five minutes is way faster than I could have sustained for the whole workout. Right. 
I could have very much sustained six minute pace and I wouldn't have felt that tired at the end of it. So five minute pace would be more like your 5k pace. Yes. And then six minute pace is your half marathon pace. It's my... I'm sorry, your full marathon Ultimate pace. goal marathon pace. You, you, you ran <laughs> 602 pace. I couldn't do it today. Okay. Right. But, but yes. So, but, th- but that's what you're bouncing between. That's what you're bouncing between right. is neither of them... Neither pace, but neither pace are are at this like threshold level. And neither of them are easy though. No, neither of them are easy. But one of them is way faster than threshold pace. It's what I can sustain for less than twenty minutes, and one is what I can sustain for like two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not my easy pace. It's still a minute faster than easy pace. Okay. So the idea is make yourself as fatigued as possible, and then still sustain a reasonable effort. Okay. And then what about the steady state? You you mentioned steady state. Steady state. So if you can kind of keep, this is what we were saying in the last one where you kind of mentioned the half marathon pace threshold is also a very good point on this one is if you can keep sustaining a pace that you could in theory run for an hour saying to go out and do hour repeats at this thing is going to be really hard. So you do like 20 minutes at that pace. Okay. Okay. Put it into a 40 minute run, Mm -hmm. 20 minute warm up, 20 minutes at this threshold level, and then 20 minute cool or 10 minute cool down. Okay. Okay. And just being at that, like continuously running at that ceiling gradually pushes the ceiling higher. Is that banging your head? No, that's, that's pushing the ceiling higher. Okay. And then what's banging your head? that's running too fast and then trying to sustain and then running too fast and then trying to, that's the okay. 5k to marathon, 5k then marathon. Okay. And you kind of bounce too fast and then try and you don't let your body fully recover and then you make it even extra fatigued and then don't let your body fully recover. So that's, is that giving you physiological benefits or is that more mental that's just forcing you to sustain that pain both okay definite both so what are the physiological benefits of it your body has to figure out what to do with all of these fatigue byproducts okay you can say lactic it's fine i mean it's one of the many things that it's trying to do that's why i say several products yeah is lactate's a good one because your body when your muscles fatigue it produces this stuff and your body has to figure out what to do with that stuff right because if so your body you can keep going if your body's operating super efficiently it mm-hmm. can in fact take this stuff and use it as a fuel source right it just doesn't like doing it right so if you create a whole bunch of it in your muscles and in your bloodstream and then say okay now we still have to run mm-hmm. your body's going to be like well I, I guess I can try and figure out how to use that as a fuel. Right. That's the theory. Right. Well, and it is. It, and it, it works. It, it does, right. Your body adapts and learns how to do it. Yes. Right. And the other one is, is pushing the ceiling higher so those those byproducts don't show up until you get to a faster and faster pace. Okay. I gotcha. That right. makes sense. All right. So let's move on to number four. The infamous tempo run. Ah, uh, tempo runs. You love, you love talking about this. Okay, Kevin. So what is a tempo run? A tempo run is a specific workout. They were essentially dubbed by Daniels back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was named by Daniels. Yeah. Okay. Rooted around the, this threshold pace. He found that running for 20 minutes at that threshold may, pace was the optimum length of time to get the benefits out of the workout. Why was that the optimum length of time? Because you were in the pace for long enough that you were actually pushing up against the ceiling. You're building up that lactate in exactly. the muscles. Exactly. Because 
for the first few minutes, like if you do an appropriately done tempo run, Mm -hmm. this is a pace that you could sustain for an hour. And the workout only says sustain it for 20 minutes. It shouldn't be grueling. Mm -hmm. If you ever see somebody just like wants to fall over at the end of what they're calling a tempo run, they did it too fast. Okay. Okay. It really shouldn't be all that tough, especially like the first few minutes of it should not be that that intense. Mm -hmm. That's why some people get a little messed up on tempo run as they start pushing the pace. Like, oh, I can definitely go faster than this. Yes, you can. But the idea is this is a pace you should be able to sustain for an hour. You're just doing it in 20 minutes. Okay. So you have to build up to that pace where you, you've hit the ceiling and then you hold it for a while. Okay. If you start holding it for too long, then it just takes a lot longer to recover. You can do it. It just takes probably more than, than just a down day. It takes a couple of days. Okay. So... Tempo in the traditional sense is 20 minutes at that lactate threshold. So why do a lot of people do tempo runs or call the things tempo runs that are more than 20 minutes? Well, people just started using the term tempo essentially to mean like anything that they were doing at steady state, Okay, which is good because at least they grabbed onto one of the key things out of the out of the workout is it's supposed to be at a constant pace. Mm-hmm. The one that really drives me nuts is if people talk about like running a 5k and they go out too fast and they just keep getting slower and slower. And they're like, ah, that was basically just a tempo run for me. That was not even close. Okay. Because you, like the whole point of a tempo is to maintain the same pace throughout. That's the entire point of it okay. is to, to just be right on that line the entire time as steady as possible. So, so like, treadmills are great for tempo runs. So can you do a tempo run with effort-based training or is that more pace-based um it it is definitely an an effort thing you know i mean i've i've got daniel's like original book on this and he really talks about how tempo runs should be done on a flat surface so that you don't have like the change in hills because it's supposed to be like a steady effort and pacing it should all be like a constant thing all the way through okay so yeah you are going to slightly slow down if you do it on on like an effort-based training you will probably slightly slow down but since you're going for a pace that you could ideally sustain for an hour and you're only going for 20 minutes you shouldn't slow down that much okay so if we're using our effort-based scale of one to five what would you say a tempo effort level would be it's going to be somewhere around like a three high three Mm-hmm. Like three and a half. Yeah, three and a, somewhere between three and a half and four. Yeah. Okay. It's it's going to start and it shouldn't feel all that hard. But as you keep going, just because you're maintaining a pretty good effort, not like a blazing effort, but a pretty good effort, it, it gets tiring by the end of it. Right. I mean, I just dropped one of these the other day. Mm-hmm. It, you don't like pop off the at the end of the run. You're not like, ooh, I, I'm super excited. But, you know, you recover pretty quickly from it because it's only 20 minutes. Right. So what, how should you feel at the end of a tempo run? Um, I felt sweaty. (laughs) That's because we're in Florida. Right. You should feel tired, but not like, not like you're in the middle of some like grueling track workout. You're going to be tired, but the recovery is pretty quick. You had said this to me before when early on in my training is that basically that 20 minutes, 20 minutes is 20 minutes. It doesn't matter how fast you're going. Like you need to push yourself for 20 minutes straight and it doesn't matter if you're going at an eight-minute pace or a seven-minute pace because you're not going to get there any faster. Like, if you're going out for a three-mile run... <laughs> That's why you hated these. I hated them, yeah. But if you're going out for a three-mile run, if you run faster, you will be finished sooner. Yes. But for a 20-minute tempo run, it, you're out there no, for 20 minutes, no matter how fast you go. So mentally, it is very difficult to push yourself harder 
knowing that you're not going to be done sooner. Yes, pushing harder doesn't make it go away. There's any no benefit mentally. There's, nope, you know, there mentally. is no benefit. <laughs> yeah, like oh, but what if I just what if I kick it in real fast? No, no, no. Time doesn't move any faster. Right. You just cover a greater distance. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the, the idea behind a tempo was to sustain a constant effort throughout. I really like the tempo run for for our cross country kids, but it's hard to send them out in August on a tempo run. It's yeah. great fairly early in the season to get them used to dealing with that like sustained pain. But when it's 105 and they didn't put in the summer training, you can't do it. So I do broken tempo runs, right? which is slightly faster in pace, but broken up into like five minute chunks so that they can, they can recover and get a drink of water and not pass out. And we can also monitor and make sure that they're maintaining the correct level of effort. Yes. By keeping them closer, like on the track or something. Yeah, on the track or running loops of something that we can see them every half mile. Right. You send them out and you're like, okay, 20 minutes at a steady state. They're not going to sustain the effort in, in a all lot aggregate. Of, a lot of them A may lot not. of them will not. But the, I mean, the, the higher, the committed ones will, yeah. but some of them will not. Yes. All right, let's move on. What is a fartlek? Because this is the most fun running term to say. And every time we say it, our girls laugh, right? Yes. That's because it's Swedish. Yeah. And it's, it sounds funny. Well, it's, I mean, it's because it, it has the word It says the word fart. fart at the beginning of it. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> like we all watch Captain Underpants. Like, I mean, <laughs> like it just, it, the word is in there. It's it's one of the running shirts I wanted when I was in high school. Is I, I remember the catalog that came and the shirt said, oops, I fartlicked. And that, I mean, how funny is that? Like, that's amazing. Um, so, so what is it? All right, it's a Swedish term for speed play. Okay. And fartlek is spelled F-A-R-T-L-E-K. L-E-K. That's why it's it's Swedish. There's a K at the end of it. All it means is changing the pace during your run. Okay. That's it. And there, there's no like set, oh, well, it's it's two minutes fast and two minutes easy. There's a reason why play is part of the word. Okay. Because it's it's what like you would do if you went out for a friend and just wanted to like mess with each other. All right, we're going to go fast until we hit that light pole. Mm-hmm. And then it's the other person's job to say, okay, now we go easy until we get to that mailbox. Right. And, and then they decide. I did this with my friend last week or two weeks ago. This is, it was I, fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It can also be incredibly hard. Yeah. Or really easy. It yeah. depends on what you do with it. That's so, why it's a great workout. By definition, it is unstructured. It's not yes. like a 2-2 where it's two minutes on, two minutes off, one minute on one minute off that's technically not a fart look. the the origins of it did not have structure to it okay i i would argue but that's that how a lot of people use it nowadays that's how i use it nowadays because right. then you can put a lot of structure to interval it runs it's, it, it's, it's interval runs right? it's, it's two twos yeah you know and there's there's good benefits of that i think that it's one of the best ways of getting in a great cardio boost in a smaller period of time mm-hmm Okay, so you can do these unstructured ones where you just pick up the pace and run from light post to light post, or you can actually have structure to these and do two minutes on, one minute off, one minute on, three minutes off, that kind of thing. Yeah, if you're going to do them unstructured, it's best to do them with somebody else because if you're doing it unstructured with yourself, you're always going to be like, and now I'm going to recover for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So it's nice to do the unstructured with a, with a group of people and you can kind of rotate who's in charge of how far you go. Okay. So the fart licks or interval types of workouts are really good for your cardio. And why is that? 
Well, what I, I like to compare running to driving a car anytime I talk about the, the interval training is what's the way to get the worst gas mileage possible is stop and go driving mm -hmm. because it strains the engine of your car to its utmost. Right. If you just drive at a constant speed down the highway, put it on cruise control, you get best gas mileage. That's the most efficient. So the way to sort of boost the cardio in the, in the shortest time period is stop and go running. Okay. So you go fast, you go slow, you go fast, you go slow, and the, the heart and the lungs and, and everything just has to figure out what the heck am I doing with this. Mm -hmm. So it, it keeps your body, it essentially keeps you on your toes and you get, you can get all sorts of adaptions. It depends on what kind of intervals you do, how, how fast is your fast, how slow is your slow. You mm -hmm. can, I mean, you can get benefits up and down the training spectrum. Right. And it depends on how how long your fast part is and how long or short your recovery is. And that's one of the things that you're still teaching me now. And it's amazing how many different types of workouts you can do with just playing around with the types of intervals you're doing and the amount of recovery that you get. I mean, this is one of my favorite things when I was in the last marathon training cycle is I would do like five miles of fartleks and I started mm -hmm. it at like five minutes quick two minute recovery right and then I went to seven quick two recovery and then eventually I had it at like seven miles of 10 minutes on one minute off Ooh, yeah it was rough but you know it's still technically this change of pace throughout mm -hmm. the entire workout and we like to use a lot of these interval workouts with our athletes especially our newer runners because it doesn't require a lot. You just have to go on for two minutes and off for one minute. It's not like you have to measure out your runs. You don't have to have any fancy GPS types of watches to know how far you've gone. Like if you're doing a quarter mile repeat or a half mile repeat or anything like that, it's just a, a minute based type of thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it can, it can be distance based You can do as, distance, as well. but you can very easily do it with time. And it's a, it's a lot of effort based. Right. You can do a Farlick run as a recovery run. Mm -hmm. And it, it's good because... Like you said, it gives you more cardio benefits sooner, so you get in shape quicker. Which everybody loves doing. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's move on to number six. I know <laughs> this is one, I don't know how much you're going to say on this, or if you want to do a whole different episode on this, but let's talk a little bit about VO2 max right now. First of all, what is VO2 max, and why is it used in training? All right, so VO2 max is the maximum oxygen consumption that your body can do. Okay. So it, In a given period of time? It's basically how much oxygen can you actually take into your body. So they, they measure like... Like within a minute. Yeah. So they measure how much... I think Yeah, per per minute in, is, is in the, the unit. Like the full unit's got like liters per minute, and it's based off of your body weight also. And right. It's it's been around for a long, long time because back in the like 1920s, so it's been around for like almost 100 years. Back in the 1920s, measuring oxygen consumption was one of the first like scientific things that could be accurately measured. Okay, and basically what they did is hooked up a mask to. This is the, the most accurate way to measure VO2 max is someone running on a treadmill and you hook up a mask to them and you literally measure how much oxygen they are consuming per minute. Yeah. That they're doing whatever activity it is. Yeah. And then you, uh, you just keep making them go faster and faster. And eventually you'll get to a point where it doesn't matter if you're going faster, you don't take in any more oxygen. That's it. That's, that's your level. That okay. is, it is your VO2 max. Okay. So why did this become so important in the running world? 
<laughs> well, because it was one of the first things that could be measured. And since there wasn't a lot of other things that could be measured and the coaches wanted a scientific explanation for how to get people faster, that was the research. And there have been some huge, phenomenal, like, coaching legends that are still out there. Jack Daniels is that doctor. Jack Daniels is out there. And Joe Vigil is out there. And they use programs that are based off of VO2 max. And they've created hundreds, thousands of successful runners with these programs. Okay. When you, when you say they're based off of VO2 max, what do you mean? So the idea is that you train a couple different ways. You either have workouts that are based off of like running at the speed that is, that creates your VO2 max. Like at the speed that you would in theory hit that plateau? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Plateau is a whole nother, whole nother episode. Right. Um, they call it the VVO2 max. It is the velocity that you hit with your VO2 max. Okay. So you run at that speed. Okay. Or you run at certain percentages of it. Okay. And, you know, if you run at 80% of it, you're supposed to get this benefit and so 60% it, gets you this benefit. Is it kind of like heart rate then in it that is, sense? It is very much related to heart rate. Okay. There's, there's certainly a, an overlap between this and heart rate training. Okay. Um, you know, heart, when heart rate training then came around, suddenly people were, they left this and moved towards that. Every time you get a new thing that you can use as your as your basis for training people are like oh that's the newest thing let's go for this mm -hmm. vo2 max has been around for a long time some super successful coaches have had very successful athletes with it okay so when would we use it well it depends um because there, there's issues with it mm -hmm. um and one of the issues is that there some of the more recent research has shown that there's not good correlation between improving your vo2 max and improving your actual athletic performance why not they've taken a bunch of elite runners trained them gotten them faster in order to like did they train them in order to improve their vo2 max they've done both both ways okay they've trained them in an attempt to improve their vo2 max shown vo2 max improved like statistically like 10 percent improvement in vo2 max okay and no improvement in their performance like in their race time right and when you're dealing with elite athletes they don't care what their vo2 max is they're care if they can win a race okay so say these elite athletes are running five minute pace when they hit their vo2 max sure okay then they do their training to improve their vo2 max so say their vo2 max goes from like a 70 to an 80 i know that's a big jump but let's just say yes. okay so at five minute pace they're now is it like at five minute pace they're now consuming 80 liters of oxygen instead of 70 but is the pace the same yeah, they're able to consume a greater amount. Of, okay, so the idea is if you boost your VO2 max, you're going to take in greater oxygen. Okay. Taking in greater oxygen... Should make you faster. Should make you faster right. because the oxygen is the fuel that is part of the fuel that your body needs. Mm -hmm. But it's not the only thing that your body needs. No, and when you're working at that high level of intensity, you're not really using the aerobic systems as much anymore. There's the issue. Yeah. Yep, that's part of the big problem with it. Right. Is you can you can train uh -huh. and you can try to Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. <laughs> you can try and boost VO2, but you're not necessarily going to get benefits from it. You they've they've done other studies where they they trained athletes on a different system that didn't try and adjust their VO2 at all, and they've shown that their VO2 max stayed completely steady, but their athletic performance is improved. So why train something that doesn't necessarily match up with your performance if your goal is to simply get faster? Okay. 
So are plans based on VO2 max worthless? I don't think so because you're still out there running. Mm -hmm. Like this is the thing is I don't think that. And again, it depends on if you're an elite athlete or if you're a non-elite athlete, like the majority of runners. Right. If you're working with a VO2 max already in the 70s and you're in the top like 0.1% of the world population. Right. Like changing your VO2 max might not do much. Mm -hmm. If you're operating. But if your VO2 max is like 40 or and, 35 and you have the ability to raise that by right. 10 15 points you're probably actually going to get some benefits of that it's, that's the research that's yeah. not that hasn't been done right like what happens if you change someone's vo2 max from 30 to 40 do you get benefits and it, the mm-hmm. research just isn't there well it's interesting because that's def- that's one of the statistics that garmin and some of these other training watches and wearables are now giving you that gives you your, your vo2 max estimate Right, and the fact that it changes from day to day is kind of insane. Right. Because it shouldn't be able to pop up and down every single day. Right, and that's what, it's happened to me for sure. And I've noticed that there was, if I have a bad run or my heart rate is higher than normal on what should be an easy run, my VO2 max will go down. Or if I, you know, really do well on a speed workout or something where my, like, heart rate doesn't go crazy high and I still hit a really good pace, my VO2 max will go up. Right. Well, part of the issue is that the Garmin isn't actually measuring the oxygen consumption. Right. It's measuring your heart rate. It's measuring your your heart rate, mm-hmm. estimating oxygen consumption based off of a rise in... So it's using some formula. Yes. Yeah, it some uses algorithm. a bunch of graphs that they try and correlate, but they don't necessarily correlate at everybody's paces. And mm-hmm. it's it's got a lot of issues. Using your heart rate to figure out how... Um, how your heart rate rises with your speed is like is a running efficiency thing. It's a totally different metric. And Garmin then tries to take that one and match it up numbers-wise with VO2. Okay, so if someone has VO2 max in their training plan, what yes. kind of pace is that? Um, it's... Is it, a, is, is it a pace or it's more of just like a type of workout that you're doing? Like one of the one of the classic this will this will raise your VO two max is like the seven to eight minute repeats at a pace that you could sustain probably for mm, ten to fifteen minutes. Okay. And then repeat it. So it's it's a you're able to sustain it and then you're doing repeats at maybe half of that time. Yeah, it's faster than five K race pace. It's it's like two mile race pace for pretty fast people. Okay. And then you you do repeats fat like instead of something that you would be done after twelve minutes, you only do it for seven minutes. But then you try and repeat those three or four times. Okay. In theory, it raises your VO two max, which should correlate right. to athletic performance, but it doesn't. Right. So basically, what we're saying is that you can probably gain benefits from those type of workouts. The it's just questionable whether or not you're gaining those benefits because it's actually changing your VO2 max or because it's making your body adapt in different ways. Right. Well, I mean, that's the other thing is to improve your VO2 max, there's literally like a dozen different adaptations that could go into your body. That's why we could do a whole episode just on this concept. And I'm sure we will at some point. All right. Okay. So what's a runner to do, Kev? Yeah, this is the the, the end of it. We've got a whole lot of terms here, but what the heck do we do? So there's a few keys to actually improving your performance. Step one, run more. There's pretty good evidence behind running more gets you faster. To an extent. 
Yeah, I mean, there's an upper limit. Eventually, you get to a point where running more gets you hurt. Mm -hmm. But if you can healthily transition from running about 20 miles a week to running 30 miles a week and keep your like training intensities all the same, you will probably improve all sorts of different running efficiencies. Okay. Okay. Um, Step two, run at different paces. Run some days at a slower pace, some days at a faster pace. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of people go out and and run the same mileage at the same pace every single day that they run. And that gets them really efficient at running that mileage at that pace. Right. Change it up and you'll start seeing advances in everything. You know, just because you do stuff super fast does not mean you're not getting benefits of running slow. Doing longer and slower also gives you benefits on the faster stuff. It it works across the board. Mm -hmm. You get benefits on both ends from doing both things exactly okay all right um three effort-based training okay knowing what it feels like you know when when we were saying before your marathon pace is not necessarily the pace you would run a marathon at it's something that's sustainable for two and a half to three hours it's figuring out what these different efforts effort levels are we Mm -hmm. had a whole episode on effort-based training we did and i'm sure we'll do more it's you know the the shorthand version is have levels one through five, mm-hmm. but the more levels you can put in there, if instead of having levels one through five, you can actually have one through 10, mm-hmm. the more slight gray areas you can have between levels, the better you get, the more you can hone in on what these different points are. So that's basically just learning your body. Yeah. Yeah. Goes back to point one, run more. Right. Which is good because it makes those, all those paces a little less important and I know there are some people that are just so stuck on what pace should I be hitting. Yeah, and, me about five years ago. Right. And the answer is your pace depends on so many different factors like we've talked about in previous episodes, like the weather and your sleep and stress levels and all these other things. Like right now in the summertime with the heat and humidity the way it is, it is so hard to be hitting faster paces because it feels so much harder. So running an eight-minute pace – really feels a lot faster like it feels like you're trying the effort level that you need to hit eight minutes is probably something like seven minutes yeah and in cooler weather are you running with somebody are you on a treadmill like i can hit paces on a treadmill that i cannot then go outside and hit because if you don't hit the pace on a treadmill you get shot off the back of a treadmill you better keep up if if you are really tired and you're running outside and you want to slow down you slow down you don't just slow down on a treadmill you have to physically push the button and make it slow down yeah yeah. And there's something about that having to push the button that says, no, 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 I can do it for another 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're outside, you might just gradually start slowing down and not even notice. And the treadmill also takes away some of those weather factors too. Yeah. It takes yeah. away a lot of things. Yeah. All right. Um, so do more effort-based training is what you're saying. Yeah. A and, lot of effort-based training. And worry a little bit less about those specific paces. Yeah. And realize that some of these, I mean... You can go online and find pace calculators, and they're all based off of, like, certain races. This was my most recent race. It says, oh, well, you ran a 5K in this. This is your 10K, half marathon, marathon pace. These are all of the paces that you should run throughout your training cycle. Like, sort of. Mm -hmm. But like you just said, there's a lot of... There's a lot of range to that depending on a lot of factors. Well, and and that's why a lot of plans do give you like a little bit of a range for mm-hmm. your workouts. Like you're you're supposed to be hitting quarter mile repeats between this and this. You know, there's more of a range there and not just one fast number. But what about those people that are obsessed with their watch? 
I mean, and and hitting those specific paces because there are people out there. If you don't give them a pace, they are not happy. I know, and and that's why there are paces, and and you can take the you can hit the paces. It's helpful to have a coach in those cases because the coach is the one who can provide some logic and be like, yeah, I know, I told you you were supposed to hit quarters in ninety seconds, and you're hitting them in ninety five, but it is a hundred and fifteen degrees outside, mm-hmm. so. Maybe you're going to be a little off today. Right. You know, or you only slept for three hours last night or whatever's going on in your life. Like there's a lot of things that can slow down. That's that's the helpful benefit of having an, someone on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Or you had to take a couple weeks off because you had something removed by the dermatologist. Yes, that would also do it. Yeah. All right. So you have on here errors of race predictors. Well, yeah, this goes into, outline. yeah, this goes into effort-based training is, um, your 5K pace is the pace that you feel like you could run if you had to race a 5K today. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what some website or your watch told you is your ideal 5K. Yeah, because my Garmin is so... Um, what's the word I should say? Spot on, dead on, accurate, nailed it? No, v- very generous, actually. Like, it's telling me that I can run a 5K in 2143 right now, and my fastest time ever as of today is 2428. I think I could go faster. I think I'm under I think I'm sub 24. I just haven't raced a 5k in a while, but I mean, I don't think I'm sub 22 and it gives me what's it my half marathon at 139. I ran a 158. Yeah. You know, I so, mean, that is a big big difference. Yeah, so which number do you use? That's why right. I think effort-based training is is very important. A half marathon pace is not what your watch says. It's not what your PR says. Half marathon pace is what you would do today if you were in the middle of a half marathon pace. That's mm-hmm. why getting used to what your body feels like effort-wise, it's going to change day to day. You know, maybe one day it's seven-minute mile pace and the next day it's 7.30, but that effort feels the same. Yeah. Well, then 7 and 7.30 are the same to your body. And because your body's getting the same benefits from them? Yes. Really? Yeah. Even if there's that big of a difference? in the actual pace yeah i mean if you just as long as it feels that hard if it feels like you're you're at that effort level then you are at that effort level you know you throw a whole bunch of extra stressors on top you got huge project at work and you didn't sleep last night mm-hmm. like yesterday i could hit seven today i'm trying just that hard and i'm at 7 30 mm-hmm. yeah your body has all of these other stressors on top of it you're getting the same benefits you're getting the same benefits yep. see i think say that again like once no, you, no, no, just say you're getting the you're, same benefits. You're getting the same benefits. Even though you're going slower, you're getting the same benefits. Yes, you're getting the same benefits. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that is like something that a lot of people need to hear. Yeah, people are like, no, 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 I slowed down. I've got to go faster. Right. If you go faster, you're getting different benefits and you're putting your body more likely into injury plan. Injury fatigue. Yeah, injury zone. The yes. po- possibility of injury zone. Yeah. The danger zone. Yes, the yeah. danger zone. <laughs> All, All right. right, what's last? Last one. Aim for small changes. Don't don't aim for the sky in, in week one. Aim for small changes and let them build up over time. This goes back to point number one, run more. Not just today run more, but the more you run, the better you get at it. Because the better you get at all these things. So don't expect to just go out and make all these crazy changes right away and all of a sudden you're going to be a better runner. Right. Know where you're at. And I have to tell myself this one all the time. You have to train where you're at, not where you hope to be six months from now. Train where you are. Ooh, not where you hope to be. Yeah, I know. Mm. It's a, That's a tricky one. And I mean, 
you have to train a little bit of where you hope to be, but most of your training needs to be where you currently are. But if you're training where you are, how are you getting better? Because it's getting easier to train at what you're doing. Okay. You know, there was, I forget which Olympian, I think it was Bob and Kennedy. Then, and then you sprinkle in those harder things that'll kind of like uh, Hansel and Gretel, right? Yes. With yes, the, you leave the breadcrumbs. The breadcrumbs. Like, this is the path towards getting faster. You know, but when you're... Just eat a couple breadcrumbs at a time. Perfect. But w- <laughs> when you're looking at, at Olympians... If they're already the fastest person in the world, how do they get even faster? They don't necessarily try and make their workouts any faster. They just keep trying to do the same workouts and gain even greater benefits from them. They and, literally and are not those, doing faster workouts. They're just getting workouts, more benefits. And those workouts are becoming easier The to workouts them. become easier. They just get more comfortable. It's, it's trying to sustain a level. And when you sustain the workout level, you then get breakthroughs in your races. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, I know. And then there's all the, there's the giant mental aspect of it, but we've had multiple episodes on those guys. And we'll have more in the future. Plenty to come. All right. So is there anything else you want to say to wrap this up? Yeah, we're coming up close to an hour. I, I think know. we've covered just about everything we can this hit off this This is the longest guy. episode we've ever had, but I think there was so much information. You might have wanted a notebook. You might want to go back, even though this is a long one, you might want to go back and listen to this with a notebook and take some notes because there was a lot of really good information here. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was a good idea to combine the two questions into one, but it became a longer episode. I think that's okay. All right. I mean, one of the critiques we had in the past from some of our listeners was that our uh, episodes were too short. Yeah, save this one for a long run. Yeah, save it for a long run or a long commute, those of you that commute an hour to work. So that hopefully helps you guys to clear up some of those different running terms and also understand what kind of benefits each of those different types of runs give you during your training cycle. So if you have any questions, we would absolutely love to hear them. We would love to answer all your questions. You can send us an email, support at realliferunners.com. And if you didn't have a chance to take notes, head on over to our website at realliferunnerspodcast.com slash episode 44. And in the show notes, we will break this down a little bit more for you and put some notes in there explaining these different types of runs and some of the highlights of this episode. So check out our show notes for those and also for the links to our Facebook tribe and our Instagram page. You can listen to the show now on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. So if you have a smart device, just say, Alexa, play the Real Life Runners podcast and you will start to hear us, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. I know. It's pretty fun. So please do us a favor and share this show with your friends. We love new listeners. We want to reach as many people as possible to help people along their running and health journey. So share this with your friends. Check out the show notes today, and we will catch you guys next week.